0: Welcome to our 10th episode of But Why Though, a philosophy-themed comedy podcast with comedian Josh Carter
1: and Brooklyn College philosophy student Nianci Lopez.
0: And today we're going to be talking about Hobbes and Locke on property, also some current events, housing and rent. So it gets pretty interesting. We also mentioned the Council of the Rent movement going on as well, so... Stay tuned. Who do we have, Josh?
1: Um, We have uh, my good friend, Robert Blodgett, um, who is an assistant property manager at Fairstead, which is one of the largest affordable housing owners in New York City. Um, He also has a master's in philosophy. We also have one of my uh, landlord clients, back from when I was an agent, he's uh, one of my favorite landlords to work with in the city back when I was a real estate agent at Nookland and Corcoran, Sean Linda. And uh, Sean also runs a really dope podcast you should check out. It's called Two Brothers with Good Credit. Um, A lot of great finance and credit tips. Um, I know it's always helpful to know that kind of information. Um, But yeah, this is a great episode. We get into it. And I have some valuable information at the end that I'm going to put for anyone who's supporting the podcast and listening. I think you deserve this info about how to get into owning a house, even no matter what your financial situation is now. Um, if you're you do, all you need to qualify is that you have to be a first time home own, owner, meaning that you don't own any property yet. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I'll give that information at the end of, of uh, how you could start your steps to owning property. And it doesn't matter if, if you're working a minimum wage job right now, this will just at least put you on that path because it's possible for anyone right now living in America as long as you follow the proper steps and get with the right people and the right programs so i have that information at the very end of this um but yeah this is going to be a fun episode we talk all about everything that's going on with cancel rent um what what property is and the philosophy of all of that um i really had a fun time doing this one so uh definitely buckle your seatbelts. and uh yeah this is the but why though podcast Check, check. That looks like it's recording. Okay, go ahead.
0: Okay. So, Hi, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about Thomas Hobbes, who wrote the Leviathan in 1651, and John Locke, who wrote the Second Treatise on Government in 1689. And we're going to be talking about property, housing, and a little bit about the current events going on right now as well. So, we'll go ahead and get started with Hobbes first. You ready? Yeah, cool. <laughs> so, according to Mackinac.org, Hobbes believed in an um, in an almost infallible sovereign with nearly limitless power to take and use any and all property for the good of society. Individual rights did not exist. Whatever rights an individual had were merely at the discretion of the sovereign and could be revoked at any time. So pretty much like the sovereign had um, would have Like the they could do power. eminent domain
1: at any point back then.
0: Yeah. So that this is sort of what he had in mind. And then according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, for Hobbes, property rules were the product of authority the acknowledged authority of a sovereign whose commands could guarantee the peace and make it safe for men to embark on social and economic activities that outstrip their ability to protect themselves using their own individual strength. So, um, the full authority was of the sovereign. This is what he would imagine to be the perfect world for him, for Hobbes, is what he's explaining. So what I wanted to ask you guys is how do you feel about this should we have a sovereign power that can take and use property for the good of society at any time? What do you think Josh?
1: No. Like <laughs> I think uh I think that just takes that's like a huge chunk of freedom that could just get taken away from you. That's like how you I feel like in America at least in our society, like property is the point of property is really like for like generational wealth. So like if you can, if you work hard enough and you get yourself a piece of property, that's like one way that you know that your kids are going to be fine, like no matter what happens, it's like the safest bet. And I, I, I kind of feel like it's bad to take it away. But however, there was like that thing. I don't know if you guys read at all about this, but when the coronavirus first happened, there was like some big like hospital in Philadelphia that like the guy was super greedy and wanted like a million dollars a month to rent it out. For victims and there was like just no spaces i mean in certain cases i, I think, think that was
2: like, a stadium i think i think that was a stadium in um in new or in jacksonville or new orleans one of those places a football stadium oh really um,
1: that it may have been two different things because there was like definitely like a hospital like like a hospital that hadn't been used in a long time in philly that had like that kind of a thing But in a way, I kind of understand you're you trying to use leverage, but in another way, there's like a certain like area where you're kind of like, I I need to be more humane. Should I help out my fellow man? What do you guys think?
2: I think it 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 gets into the argument of capitalism versus socialism. And even though, you know, I I am a capitalist by nature, you know, it always seems to me that socialism is always saving capitalism. So... Mm. You know, and, and, you know, socialist countries, they, that's how it works. You know, Everything is owned by the state. Housing is provided by the state. And, you know, it's hard for me to judge and say because, you know, people seem to be living comfortably in those types of conditions. But I do agree with your point, Josh, as far as, you know, owning real estate does help accumulate wealth and it does pass on generational wealth. So, you know, it's a mixed bag, depending on lifestyle. You know, I am originally from Canada, born in Canada. I always say Canada is quasi-socialist in a sense. So I do understand it growing up in Canada and knowing about all the government programs that are involved in the health plans and how it does help the state. But then, you know, it caps you and it limits you. Everybody in Canada is kind of living like middle class. So, and, you know, it, it's to do with some of the similar things that you are, that you are mentioning. So it really is it comes down to lifestyle, to be quite honest.
3: I, I think that um, we have an idea of, of sovereignty in the case of Hobbes as pertaining to perhaps an individual person. But I believe that if we look at the case of real estate, we see that ultimately, if you have a property, you can't just say, I have a property, I'm done don't bother me, you know, don't come knocking on my door because this is mine. Right. You have to basically defend that property uh, like, per, like per- perpetually for the length of your ownership. And, and I think in, in a sense, money becomes uh, some like a version of the Hobbesian sovereign. In so far as it's the money that makes the rules in a lot of ways, right. you got to pay those taxes to keep that property. You've got to pay the, um, you know, you've got to pay to maintain it. You've got to pay, pay, pay if you want to have that property. And the, the money, can, if you don't do that, the money's going to take it away.
0: Yeah. And having a sovereign power over you that could decide anything at any moment, I would imagine, would be super scary. I don't think that's what
1: we I have mean, now. <laughs> maybe. We, I, who knows if we have that now? It's a conspiracy. That's exactly what we have. When we have. Yeah
3: situation money i mean makes
1: the like like it, it it's it's interesting like depending on where you have real estate there's like just like a whole new set of rules like some places will charge you city taxes for income tax some places don't mess with you on that like it depends on like what like those like little areas like goals are and then
3: i i i mean yeah it's interesting to get into it but i feel like in each of those cases like the the government or the powers that be find a way to take their peace you know however they want to cut it if it comes from income if it comes from this tax or that tax or some other way that they figure out a way to get their peace
1: but I don't understand like what in most situations I don't understand why um, a government should be able to just completely take it and keep it from you well
2: I'm a fan of limited government intervention I don't think the government needs to get involved in every things scenario and sometimes i believe that the market should dictate how things are and the government should more be like a, a, a referee you know you know because yeah. i think once they get involved in too much to make change the dynamics i don't know if it helps either side quite frank yeah. so i i think that government should get involved and it can't be a pure capitalistic state because then you just have too many people are going to suffer at the bottom so there should be some form of affordable housing for them but then i don't believe they should be pushed out in the suburbs either they should be part of like especially in New York city, they should be part of the urban community. Mm-hmm. You know, I have an incident in my neighborhood, actually, I live in Clinton Hill where I was actually involved with this. Um, there was this shelter that was um, a woman's shelter and they were converting it to a men's shelter. And the neighborhood became an uproar that they we're converting it from women to men about their safety, about this, about that. So I'm, I know a few people politically. So I got involved to help, you know, kind of liaison between the shelter and the people in that neighborhood. And to make a long story short, I thought we worked out some kind of plan that was good on both ends. And what really happened was in the long term, the people in the community were able to get the shelter closed down, and now the shelter doesn't support men or women. So those type of scenarios, to me, you know, I I even felt bad that I got involved because that's not the scenario that I wanted to happen. I wanted everybody to have, you know, to to both enjoy the neighborhood on both sides and figure out something that could work. So as people come in, as people, you know, Money talks, as was saying earlier, it it pushes out those that can't afford.
1: Um, What would be the, I wonder what the solution, the ultimate solution is. I guess like, I don't, I don't see like everyone who's here, like, you know how they have this new law that basically every new construction that goes up a certain amount is to affordable housing. I think that's a great law, but will that, I don't know if that's going to help every single person here. Um, I kind of had this weird idea. Tell me what you guys think. I think like organizations like NICA, like these like publicly funded like organizations that are like uh like the basically for those of you who don't know what NICA is the New York City Housing authority it's basically like this suit it's like the worst landlord you could have, and it's basically the projects so if you live in a project building, your landlord is NICA, and I feel like uh they right now that they're they're like something like twenty billion dollars. Under underground, that they need $20 billion to do all the repairs. Like over 80% of the houses at NICA have mold and people are living in substandard conditions. There's like crime and pee in the elevators and all sorts of stuff. Like, I think that those should be sold off to like private people, but at the same time, there's going to be tax benefits for those people from the government. And then also like the government will have like regulations that you can't like raise the rent or, try to really attract other people has to only be the people who are there or people coming in through government programs and I think that that's like something that will not only help the community as a whole but it'll be profitable to the new investor. Um, It'll give all these people better landlords who know how to be developers and redevelop a whole building. What do you guys think about that idea?
2: you leave it to the private sector to provide housing for the poor. Well, if know. they bought it.
1: Like it's just like if someone buys like in a small like people do that for a living like not as much in New York City, but in like the Midwest, you'll buy specifically section 8 housing like in a, in like an area like Detroit and like you know that the rent's going to be paid cuz it's just the government you have to work with. So maybe like that on a grander scale for like a big company, like for instance, Fairstead's one of the biggest like affordable housing providers. Like would you guys like buy like a project building, renovate it? And then as you renovate it, the government is real. Who's paying the people's rent is going to be paying you more, like a little bit more in rent. So it doesn't really affect the people currently living there.
3: Well, I think ultimately you have to, take into consideration sort of two differing views, which are not necessarily incompatible, but they're, they differ in scope. And, and that is the near term pragmatic, how can we get a solution to this problem that we have now versus how should things ultimately be, what would be the best way for things to be? And I think, you know, it's great to have this idea of, you know, ultimately, we'd like everything to be this perfect situation where, in my view, there is no poverty at all. There there are no poor people that that to me would be our goal. But, mm-hmm. you know, currently, we're in a situation where unfortunately, there is a lot of poverty and we need to have real world solutions to deal with that. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that there's one right way of of, of dealing with it that I've seen. Um, but, you know, I think that there is opportunity for the private sector to try to do some good in, in that sphere. Um, but as Sean said, you know, um, the government, you know, it, the
2: government also has a responsibility. Yeah, it's hard
0: to know. What
2: I... I think what has to happen as well, I think what has to be broken is the myth that poor and rich can't live together. I mean, in Canada, not to make the comparison, like if there's a government housing building in Canada, it's surrounded by middle to upper class neighborhoods. You wouldn't see how like it is in America, you see one project building, another project building, another project building, another project building. No, it's mixed within the community. You know, where I grew up, rich and poor, we all kind of live together. So I think segregating and making these neighborhoods that are just under the poverty line versus affluent neighborhoods is where you begin people we don't want to mix. So I think it, it's changing that mindset. And I think these new generation of people are coming in, all these even protests we're seeing today, are maybe coming in with a different mindset and different approach to understanding that, you know, we're all just humans and we can all live together, peacefully. we still live.
1: At the end of the day, that's all that we want. It's just hard to enact it and to get everyone on board, you know? As an agent,
3: but if you look, it, Chicago, oh, you know, Chicago seems to be different than New York. You know, in in that way, it, it is very segregated. You know, whereas in New York, I feel like, you know, you're on one block and then you're on another block, and it feels like a completely different place sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, as an agent, I will be. I mean, now that I'm not an agent, it kind of gives me this power to say things I'd probably be more scared to say, like, <laughs> like. I mean, as an agent, like I'm still, I when I still show certain people around, like even in like Bushwick and Bed-Stuy, like these neighborhoods are known to be like really great neighborhoods. Like even if I go to like a really sweet block in Bed-Stuy or Clinton Hill, like people who are like from the suburbs will be still afraid to move because they because of whatever reputation. Like that still goes on, and like. I mean, it's something you can't really say either. as a real? So you just have to accept it. Like you're not allowed. To, it's like illegal to tell somebody if a neighborhood's safe or not. But at the same time, it's like rooted in like the people's like preconceived conceptions. A lot of it has to do with race of people who are walking around. It's it's kind of crazy in a way. And then there are landlords, conversely, that uh, that they don't want a certain amount of a certain demographic and stuff, and they're like. Because they'll they'll think that it'll make their building seem like, like like a built like a building people don't want to live in or something like that. I mean the, that that second part wasn't something I came in contact with all the time or anything. Like a, when I and when I did, I complained and made sure that it went up the chains and stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm just giving you some examples there, of like what what it is like out in the New York City scene.
0: I think it's like that in every city. Yeah, yeah.
2: I experienced that from my landlord as well. From a landlord's perspective, that's why I hired you, Doctor, because you were the cushion. Once you see me as an African American owner, sometimes it deters people. The questions become overbearing, like the inquiries. So I would just, you know, exclude myself from the negotiation part of it because I know some people are comfortable with having "quote unquote" a black landlord. And those are the misconceptions and things that have to change.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, I, I didn't even. And I didn't even realize it, it, it could go that way too, you know. Um, I mean, your apartments are so dope, though. Everyone's super excited by the time that they're <laughs> – I used to show his apartments when I was uh, – for those of you listening, when I was like a real estate agent. Um,
0: well, that that leads us to the next one as well. We're going to talk about Locke. And he his view was different than Hobbes. So pe- that's why people always talk about Hobbes and Locke together. And according to Mackinac.org, Locke rejected the concept of an absolute sovereign. Specifically, Locke repeatedly indicated that the government, no matter how constituted, could not take an individual's property without his consent. He accepted the concept of taxation, but only as a proportional share necessary to maintain government. Locke's sovereign could be challenged by the people, and the people maintain the right to overthrow a tyrannical government. And according to the Stanford Encyclopedia, Locke was adamant that property could have been instituted in a state of nature without any special conventions or political decisions. So he thought that um, property could come about without the state interfering. He didn't want that much state interference, and he didn't think that the state should just come in and... Take your property if they want to. And the people have the right to protest and to revolution if they thought that the government wasn't doing what was right for them. So what I wanted to ask you guys is, do you agree with Locke? Is this why these movements are happening right now? Are people rebelling a tyrannical government? What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, in essence. um, I mean, it is tyrannical because it's just... Not it doesn't have to even be tyrannical. I mean, the cops are murdering people, so that's tyrannical, but even outside of that, they're always abusing their power, making people feel like they're powerless that's the 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 concept of tyrannical like they'll mess with you like and stuff like that, even if they're not shooting at you mm-hmm. and I mean, like the next step is like imagine if they did have i mean like In a way, uh, like, the cancel rent thing would be, like, the next step to the tyrannical government. Like, it it all sounds good when people are are going off the cancel rent movement. Like, yeah, it'd be dope not to pay rent, especially here in New York. We've paid so much. We've done, we've paid our dues. But at the same time, that's how, like, the society falls apart. Like, if you're not paying rent anymore, who's going to stop someone else from, like, throwing your ass out? Like whoever's the biggest and strongest gets the nicest places. I mean,
2: right. It's
1: good.
3: I mean, I think that. What could you could you explain a little bit more about like what what the what the premises behind like who's going to be paying the rent if, if there's a rent you know, what this is. I mean, this is it how costs, it's going to cost.
1: This is how I understand it. Actually, you want to hear something crazy? The dude who started... This is the craziest thing. I was actually trying to get him to be on this podcast today, but now he's being interviewed by BBC and all, and he thinks he's a big shot now if you didn't want to do it. Um, this guy who I used to work with in Nookland started the cancel rent movement on Facebook, and it like grew to this big thing. Basically, like I think his point of view is that, that people shouldn't pay... I mean, I think it was more of like something that was a thing during the quarantine... Like, if everyone loses their jobs, they shouldn't also have to pay rent and stuff. And in certain situations, like, I understand where you're coming from on that. Like, if, uh, but, and then if the government somehow subsidizes the landlords, just like how they're subsidizing the people with unemployment, that's one thing. But, like, um, there's also, like, this movement within the cancel rent that all property shouldn't be this is just from Facebook arguments I've gotten into. By the way, this is where I'm <laughs> gathering this info. This is what people's actual views are, though. They think that all property should be co-owned, like the whole human race as a collective, like owning like property. It's like very Marxist-type theory. Like most people who are in this movement are like Marxists or like people who are like into that kind of stuff, and they think that all land should be like cohabited and and like. Like, people, like, they, they expect people to just think think of things and, like, give each other stuff and be fair about everything. My question to those people, though, is, like, who who's the person staying on the third floor of a high-rise, if that's the case, you know? Like, if, if everything is co-owned, who's staying in the penthouse and who's staying... Like, I, I just don't understand how it works myself.
2: Well, that's, you know... Derek speaking, like, how the Native Indian thought how things were. And that's why the Native people lost a lot of their land because they couldn't understand that nobody owns the land. You know, so if you're asking, you know, that that that's kind of the thought of that premise. But we live in a capitalistic society. Those same people want to earn 150000 dollars a year. So you can't have it both ways. You know, canceling rent is a trickling effect. <laughs> we pay mortgages. Mortgages go to banks. Banks lend money. You know, it's just all a cycle. So if we take one thing out of the out of the component of it, it, everything falls apart. So it's not a matter of landlords being greedy. It's a matter, it's a part of the economy. It's a part of what makes the economy move forward. So you not deciding not to pay rent is really in the long run that affects you. <laughs> so it's really part of the cycle. So to say that is a very ignorant thing to say. Yeah, should there be a reduction to so the government get involved, which we did? Yes. But canceling out rent check is not just affecting the landlord. It's affecting everybody, including the same people that wants to cancel it. It's economics
1: 101. Yeah. I mean, who's going to be there for you when, like, everything starts to break in the house? Like, the, the landlord's broke. What do oh, you coming. think? Landlords
2: are going to get in the perfect apartment if you stop paying rent? Like, you may not see water in your apartment. you think about that, you may not get electricity in your apartment. Anything comes fixed and you. I'm not going to go send somebody to fix it if you're not paying rent. So, I mean, it's, it's a whole, you know, the buildings become abandoned. Landlords would walk away from their commitments with the bank. And you'd have abandoned buildings. It would destroy the economy destroy the U.S., the country in which we live in. That's just such a ridiculous thing to say and do that it doesn't make sense. Will the market correct itself? May New York rents come down because of this? Maybe there's always a correction process in any economy. So they could correct itself as far as what people are demanding for rents. You know, I just had apartment become vacant, as you know. That's why I reached out to you, Josh. So I'm curious to see what the demand is going to be like for this apartment now that we're going through this pandemic. You know, there's always corrections in the market, but cancel out rent is is a ridiculous is a ridiculous statement. And whoever says that is very ignorant.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the people just don't know the like the business behind it. But I say that, but like I I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus here, but like I wish I could got could have right, gotten right. someone on it Throw me under it. Throw me
2: under it. I don't have a problem with that. No,
1: not you. Um, a lot of my <laughs> a, a lot of my agent <laughs> friends are like like a lot of my old agent friends who are really good real estate agents are like into this. None of them wanted to come on because no one wants to say something that'll get you in trouble because it's super strict in New York city. And like, like if you say something that's like a little bit off or whatever, like uh, you'll get in a lot of trouble. But yeah, like I just don't understand it either. Like I don't understand how the economy runs or like how, who lives where, or I don't know, maybe it's just people who, Are there any old people, like, boomers who are in the cancel rent thing who, like, been uh, around for a while? It's mostly probably people that just had, like, their parents pay for their stuff.
0: I'm sure there's some.
1: Maybe. Well, you're, like, like more on that. Why don't you, what's your opinion on the cancel (laughs) rent movement?
0: Um, Well, that was actually our next question. Should I just give you guys our next question?
1: Well, yeah, but we could just talk about it in, like, whatever Uh, give us your opinion
0: well i'm i don't have all the details about it but i did read up on it and um pretty much what they wanted to to do was cancel the rent and also mortgages for for landlords and find a way for um there was also a lot of landlords that were asking not to pay property taxes next year if that happens so
1: um once you say that the government freezes up there, like, never mind, we won't cancel the rent. You're not going to pay us taxes. That's
0: <laughs> So that's what some landlords were organizing to do is what I read about. So I don't know. I think you would need a really good strategy in order for that to work. It definitely would affect the economy, but I think that's what people want to do. They want to show that this is something then the government has to take action on and that's probably why they're doing it I don't think it's because they want to ruin the economy but I don't know I feel like
1: I mean I understand if the government made everyone like freeze rent or something for like a month during the pandemic and then paid like the landlords like some kind of like unemployment insurance type thing or that's something similar to their rent um, but not something that's permanent like how the way society is supposed to run like you know i just yeah it's just like crazy i think that in a way is tyrannical because that's making people give the and the mortgage thing is not even a part of the issue because what if a landlord spent all this money paying it off or like had it in their family for 30 years do they not or do they not deserve to to get some of that money back that they've already paid their mortgage off with. It's not just about like everyone is living paycheck to paycheck. And since the the landlord is living paycheck to paycheck because their mortgage frozen now that you're living. I mean, I don't think that that's like really even a point like the mortgage. Like I think there are always going to be other expenses. People have to make their living and maintain the property like in a lot of ways, like the water, like water bills, like all sorts, like water. I mean, I uh, I work on this property in Detroit, and the water there is like—I mean, it's Michigan, so I think because of the whole Flint thing, the water's way worse there. But there is a lot of like little things, and it stacks up in the rents. What ends up paying for it and keeps the quality of living high, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And like, oh yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm talking in circles here. <laughs> So the tyrannical thing about it is that the government would be making you give away product for free In no other industry is the government going to come in and tell someone like if you're selling like fruits like on the street or is the government going to say you have to give everyone two peaches with at no charge like or like if you're selling cars, everyone gets a Lambo. You know, like, it's it's just, it's it's, a, it's property that you bought and something you've made an investment into. And I understand some investments turn out to be bad and stuff. But I don't think the government should take over your property. It shouldn't tell you what to do with your property. Unless you're doing something illegal and immoral on your property, they shouldn't really intervene. You know, or if, unless it's an emergency, they could ask you and then you should kind of be an open-hearted person and try to help the greater good temporarily. But I don't think it should be permanently taken from you and if it is something that you give temporarily i think that you should be somewhat thanked for it and all that and like you should get credit where credit's due on top of it
2: at the end of the day this conversation boils down to socialism versus capitalism you know you're a millennial may not understand it you're different this is all just socialism conversation and and asking yourself the question what kind of state do you want to live in but you know there's trade-offs to it i mean i've been to cuba before and as as much as people want the government involved in a lot of things, you don't really want them so much involved, you know, you, you know, and I think there's limitation. Like I said, you know, just comparing it to Cuba. Um, You know, I stayed at this really great hotel in Cuba and it was like, I didn't realize it's government owned. I went to the corner store. It's government owned. I went to a restaurant. It's owned by the government, you know, and there can, and then they have two sets of currency, one currency for the tourist and one currency for the local, the local currency you can't really do much out of it. You can't do really much with it. And so there's there's huge restrictions and when it comes to these socialist stocks. People talk about not paying property taxes. It's not like the government has these all this reserve sitting around there in funds. So a lot of times you have to print this money. And right now, the US dollar is not is it's going through a transition when it's not gonna be the world dollar anymore. It's looking at transitioning to the to the yen and other currencies because of the confidence in the US market. So these are the things that happen on a whole economic scale that people are not understanding. Like, we don't pay our property taxes, the roads are going to fall apart. Properties are going to start falling apart. This is the trickling effect. The government bailing us out with printing more money is not a solution. It creates inflationary periods. We didn't even create a lag workforce now. You know my friends told me? Like, one that I know is a great realtor that says, hey, you know what? Let me pursue my thing, collect unemployment, because... I can be doing better that way and pursuing my goals. That causes a lagging economy. Those kind of mindsets and thought that socialists thought, it's not good for any economy. One thing: why America is where it is today? Because we all were comfortable working 18 hours a day. Now we're saying, you know, work six, chill, get a check from the government. Let the government give us a check. The whole U.S. economy is on welfare. At the end of the day, I don't know how that's good for an economy.
1: Yeah. And plus, I mean it's one thing, it depends on where what country or if their government has like stuff a lot tighter. But last time I checked, the US government doesn't do anything good. <laughs> Nothing is done well by the US government. <laughs> the the DMV's not done well, the post office isn't done it well. It starts with
2: the leader, my friend. It starts with who's on oh top. My you know, everything dictates from who's on top and it trickles down.
1: Yeah. So And it's just like they start, I feel like they, they, someone at some point started just hiring their friends or something. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: I think so. He's just hiring his buddies. Yep, I agree with you.
1: <laughs> so
0: our last question, you guys pretty much answered a lot of the other one, the other part. But um, I wanted to mention, on in the American Bar Association website, Um, It states that today, housing reflects income inequality and environmental injustice. From federal to local level laws impacting air and water, along with homeowners and the homeless, regulatory processes that influence where and how people live have an immediate and profound effect on shaping public health. It is essential to address how these regulations affect communities that have suffered from the distribution distributional disparities of environmental and economic harm concurrent with the disproportionate protection of the law. So that adequate housing is a human right is a widely recognized concept. The right is protected in Article 25 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 11 of the International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, Article 27, and the list goes on. So, housing is also included as an element of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Goal 11, which seeks to make cities inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable, posits that sustainability requires addressing the shortage of adequate housing and advances the idea that by 2030, all countries must ensure access for all to adequate, safe, and affordable housing and basic services and upgrade slums. So, <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys what you think. Should housing be considered a human right? And how can we fix housing inequality and homelessness as well? And things like that. What would be the solution?
1: What I, well, I think everyone agrees that that uh, housing is a human right, or should be considered one. I don't
3: agree with that.
1: You don't agree with it?
3: No, I don't. Um, um, I think I think it's it's a human right to not be in poverty, right? I think that's I think I think it's a human right to well to, shelter
1: is something you need. I think so. I think that's a human right. Being in poverty is a whole other story. If you make under twenty eight thousand a year you're technically in poverty that's different from not having
3: sure because if you think about it people don't need to be in poverty right if if people needed to be in poverty if we lived in a world where there just wasn't enough to go around then you could say okay there's not enough to go around so somebody's got to be in poverty but but that's not the case there's there's more than enough to go around
2: um, once again it's a conversation between socialism and capitalism in order for capitalism to thrive somebody has to be suffering somebody has to prosper and somebody has to suffer so that's just capitalism one on one so it gets back to once again are we looking for a socialist state if that's the case yes we all have equal share we all make equal salary we all have equal housing but in order for somebody to live in a mansion somebody got to be living in the projects it's just, it's just capitalism so like, it really comes down to that I think um, you know would I love to see it? no poverty? Absolutely. But in our economic format, it's not something, it's not a reality. It's just
1: not a reality. I don't, but in, is it a reality we haven't figured out the economic format, though, where it is a reality? Because I feel like socialism will all be lower middle class anyway. It'll help, well, like, some people, but...
2: The government boosting up the poor, like I said, you know, I've lived between Canada, United States, and the Caribbean, and a lot of European countries follow the same suit. Like in Sweden and Switzerland, and those places where the government uplifts the poor, so you can have that you have that middle class. But then, because of course the rich is taxed so high, they don't really become wealthy. Everybody kind of lives in the middle. And you know, if you go to Canada, I can bring you to different areas, and I can show you the identical house in one house. Somebody on government assistance lives there, and the identical house a doctor lives there. Because you're being boosted up, you get health care covered, you got daycare covered, you got all the expenses that people worry about in that instance are backed by the government. But somebody has to pay that, and they tax the wealth highly. So you can't have it. It's just, you know, there's, there's, there's and, but then you've got a, a lot of the wealthy people in Canada, some of them are not happy about it. Some of you are not happy about paying high taxes, giving 46% of their salary, they make $100, 46 of it goes right to, into taxes so
1: why do they you know, stay, there. stay there huh so why do they stay in canada didn't like when i know like when it becomes extremely like socialist like venezuela and stuff like all like the rich talented people moved here like to the united states that yeah,
2: becomes of... more dictatorship though there's a difference yeah people stay there because you know like my friends that i went to school with you know, it's about lifestyle like you know when they, they finish at a hard five o'clock at work from work <laughs> you know i remember when i moved to the united states my brother would tell me that if you leave work at five, it should be like half a day, work half a day, you should feel like you're getting out of work early. So, you know, it's about, they're more about family, lifestyle, versus, you know, chasing the dollar. And there's a lot of European states that live in that, with that mindset. A lot of Europeans don't even understand our, our workforce. The, the, the French, for example, they they have like like three months vacation every year. You know, if they're like, the woman's bearing out, she has what? Uh, maternity leave is like, I think two years. These are things that we can't, we have three months maternity leave. That's, that's insulting to women. To only have three months to bond with your child and you got to go back to work. So those things, you know, are where you'd have to make changes in the United States if you want to have that kind of a mix. And like I said, it comes down to accepting who your neighbor is regardless of income.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think it should be considered a human right. I think that fixing housing inequality, I think we have to just try different things. Like, I mean, there's it's always going to be a little unequal, but I feel like in a way it's good to have a motivation for people to try to, to make more. Because even though there's someone suffering and someone, and another person living really rich here. And I, I mean, I know... It's a little. It's gotten a little bit more disproportionate in recent years. Like maybe in the '90s, it wasn't like how it is today. But like, um, I don't know. I feel like there's still like I when I was growing up as like a kid, I I didn't really have as much as I as I ended up. There's like some kind of a pride in that, like growing up and like kind of just like making something of yourself. And I couldn't imagine what my life would be like if uh, if I was just doing the same old thing my mom did and that her mom did, and we're just getting a check. Well, you know,
2: it, the, the argument can go in both ways because, you know, I teach at financial literacy at, in, you know, disenfranchised high schools. And, you know, a public you have public schools in New York City that have swimming pools, Stuyvesant, and you have public schools in New York City that you can't drink from the water fountain. And the child in that neighborhood is just... See, they were just unfortunately born in that neighborhood and they're automatically, the level of education, the level of access is totally different, and they're both going to public schools. So you can rave about, hey, I had I worked hard, my mother, I did this, I got out. But there's just some people, this, this stack is against them. You know, I've met a lot of smart kids in the wrong schools, and I wish I could just handpick them and put them in the right schools, and that's all it takes. And then they may not have, you may have had a great mom that was able to push you and help direct you. Some of these kids don't have that same type of parenting. You know, so it creates an unfair playing field, you know, and, and this is where the problem begins. There's no way in simplest terms that if you go to a public school, same level of education, same level of access should be across all boards if it's a public school. And It starts with that kind of mindset, but public schools are not equally proportioned.
1: Yeah, that's true. Especially in New York City. And
3: that, that to me goes back to one of your earlier points, Sean, which is about okay, if if housing or shelter is a human right, what quality of housing and shelter
2: absolutely you're so right because you working in housing, like Josh said earlier, I have a shipping business. I've been delivering some stuff in those project buildings. And those are like jail cells, some of them. They're concrete all around. Yeah. Like just going in and going in the elevator. It's depressing. You can't feel good about yourself coming in and out of those buildings and living in that element and that you can't even blame the people. Sometimes the construction and, you know, it's not a welcoming environment going into those government buildings. So, right. It's not fair people. You just leave your building angry. I leave angry a lot of times bitter when you see people going to these fancy places and I got to go to something that's like a jail cell and it's, it's even worse in Chicago, you know, it's even worse in Chicago. So you have to have, you know, if you're going to have affordable housing, it has to be in a welcoming environment where people feel good about themselves. Because if you put people in a cage, guess what? They're going to act like animals. It's a an natural human instinct. Put me in a cage, I'm going to act like an animal eventually.
1: Yeah.
3: So, 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 Josh, with that, what quality would you? Since you're the one who said
1: that, um, this is what I think should happen. I, you know, think, I think the, I think the public. I, I don't. I just think the government is inept at like at certain things, you know, like certain programs are great or whatever. Like, for instance, let me give you an example, like the whole unemployment fiasco when coronavirus first started, like they didn't, they didn't like, they they don't have like even a good enough computer to host like a few people like logging in and stuff. Like they just don't, they don't upgrade their stuff. They don't upgrade their work, their quality of workers in the government. That's why I feel like, these buildings, these are just the types of people who work, I feel like, in these types of organizations are the types of people who go and clock in. And they try to clock out right at 430. It's it's like the opposite of what Sean's saying. Anyone working in a regular private sector in New York City is like working like weekends over like all hours of the night. Like I, I would like come home sometimes at 9, 10 o'clock. You need people like that who are working in these places and that you need to incentivize them. And affordable housing isn't like something that like nobody makes money at. Like you're going to make money. Like you, I think private people should make these places nice. And then the government should reward those private individuals who are doing the work at a competent level and giving these people. I think that place should be painted every like three to five years, you know, it should be, everything should be in working order. Like the appliances, like I think there shouldn't be like infestations of like rodents and insects. I mean, that one's a harder one. Like in New York once something gets like really dirty, but I feel like people should just be somehow be incentivized to treat the space as their own, which is the big key right there because it's hard to get a whole bunch of people to do that especially people who haven't been treated well day to day in their lives and stuff and kind of grew up hard, you know?
3: Absolutely. I, I, I I don't disagree with you, but I want to stick to my, I want to stick to my guns and, and press you on this. If you think, so you, when you say that you think that shelter is a human right, what quality of shelter do you think people are entitled to have
1: well, and that, how, much
3: I, you have to, how much is that going to cost and, and who's going to pay for it
1: like i think all that the only the quality that people just need to have is just to have it not be a dangerous place there has to be able to be a cfo made at the place like a certificate of occupancy um, that, that's like when the, if, for those who don't know, that's like when the government does their inspection and make sure this is a safe, livable place. That's number one. Number two, there needs to be adequate exits in case of a fire. Number three, there needs to be work. I think there should be working appliances. Number four, heat and air conditioning should be working. So people don't like die of the temperature, just basic things like that. And that's not that hard. I don't think to do. I think all these places are like you get someone who's like a construction wizard or like a company that has like a lot of resources in that space. And it doesn't cost them that much to fix all these problems in these NICA buildings. So these people stop suffering. But I mean, those buildings are going to need to have like massive renovations. Some of them will need to have massive renovations done. And I don't know where the people are going to stay when that's happening, but does that answer your question better? Yeah, it does,
3: but um, like what, what, what
1: are you what are you looking for, Mike? <laughs> so you said
3: air conditioning is a human right now? Well,
1: I, mean, I mean not. I mean, actually, air conditioning. I, I guess you're right. Like you, a lot of people bring their own, but I'm just saying, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, be, be, yeah, you're right. Maybe not air. I mean, I, I think air conditioning should, would be nice. You know, like if it's like a if it's like a section eight, like poor person's house I think that the landlord should i mean if if it's a privately owned thing maybe that should be something you provide because who knows if you don't want all these different people buying all these really cheap air conditioners and bring it to your building and ruin like it's like faulty and ruin something and you're electric so just provide it your whatever I don't I don't mind I'll keep the air conditioning in there <laughs> but but you know you guess you get the gist of what I'm trying to say like I just <laughs> think
3: Maybe there could be some kind of point system where if you want to prioritize air conditioning over like some, you know, you, you have a certain amount of points. And you, not that this is in any way realistic or pragmatic, but basically, you know, you with your if you're given a shelter, you know, you, you can prioritize what you want and what, you know,
2: you may not care that much about. my you hear you guys are saying already you, already, you already created divisiveness. You're already saying like air conditioning. It's something that's going to be created to the wealth and it could be optional for the poor. This is where the arguments start. This is when it comes to housing. You may think something as small as air conditioning, but that could be the divider. The wealth would be saying, you know, I live with AC and the poor doesn't, and the poor is going to reject, revolt, and, and that's where tyranny happens. And am it, not in the same situation. It's either you give everybody the same thing, the same access, or you don't. You've got to make a decision. There's no, like, give them AC, we don't, because then people the are going to be objective. we are going to be upsetting. They're going to how the rich are going to show off that they have a cool house to live in and the poor have to be subjected to a 100 degrees apartment. This is where yeah. the division happens. This is where they have to have and the have gods. Yeah. It's true. It's
1: yeah. a
2: really good
0: point. Be. So you can't
2: have it both ways.
1: But, like, so you, if you, you give everybody... Every, you
2: have, like, I think everybody has a right to health care. Like, I don't think wealth should determine whether I live or die. Basic thing. If anything, as capitalistic as I am... There's no way the healthcare should be a business. Period. You shouldn't die because you couldn't afford to have some kind of surgery. That's ludicrous. Like we're all at the end of the day. You know, it's funny. I was I was saying this. You know, when, whenever you meet, you know, your whoever your God is, whether it be Jehovah, whether it be Muhammad, whether it be Jesus, whoever it is to you, he's going to look back when you when you meet him. He's going to just call us a bunch of idiots because. You know, it, color is so insignificant. Do you decide if I want a dog, is it a black dog, a white dog, a brown dog, or is a brown horse better than a white horse versus a gray horse, or is a black cat better than a gray cat versus a, like what? When did it come that it's decided that the color of your skin determines if you're better, if you it divides you? I was be like, I never made humans the exception. We are all humans at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what color you are, or what level of wealth you come from end of the day we're all human beings we're all brothers and sisters from the same species and to the end, finding ways to divide ourselves and to look at wealth and this and that is, is, is ridiculous and I'm sorry it's going to call us a bunch of idiots it really is because we, don't, we look at every other species in the world and we don't divide it based on the things we divide humans out yeah but humans have to be subdivided in these, in these pockets that who determined this? Who made this theory up? <laughs> I, I don't know.
1: The white man
2: I don't know. The white man is a black man at the end of the day. You know your history. We all are human beings. We all come from one species. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's just like, it's ge- ge- geography. We all are human beings. There's no white man, black man, yellow man, brown man. We're all just humans. And the only reason why we're the color we are, it's just geography. It's nothing else. It's a melon in our skin. <laughs> it comes down to it. And if we keep dividing each other, this is what happened this whole protest. This is what this protest has shown. Like, things had to happen in order. We had to go through this pandemic and then what happened to George Floyd had to happen in that order for people to start relating, understanding that, you know, I'm protesting for not this black life, but I'm just protesting for this human being that died horrifically and I have just been caged in for the last two months and I need to vent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think
0: it did add to it too.
1: Well, I think being inside also added to finally people having enough, you know, we're we're inside especially all the people not having sex, like they're they're like ready to explode. <laughs> like they like that that does and add that psychologically. It day. shows like
2: people in war, you know, a when the people are traumatized, they have post-traumatic syndrome and all that kind of stuff. It's because it's humans, we're not supposed to see humans die. So people seeing a man die in front of you. Yeah. From a knee pressed on his neck, it—I it, don't care what you are—it has an effect on your psyche. You're not supposed to, we're not supposed—we're not supposed to see that. People seeing that and like that, and understanding that this could have been prevented, and this man kept his knee on in somebody's neck for eight minutes, had an effect. And like you said, no sex, being caged up also t- builds up a lot of stress as well. So all those variables come into play. Equals protest.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, imagine if half these people were in jail they would not.
1: <laughs> well, I knew that something was coming when they started letting people out of jail for coronavirus. I knew that they were planning to throw a lot of people in jail pretty soon. I didn't know what what it was. Right.
2: That's right. uh, a whole different conversation. Jail is a business.
1: Yeah, that is too.
2: Downstate supports upstate.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a whole other subject for next time. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, I guess with that, we can just do our conclusion. We could go around. Like, I guess you kind of just made a good final point, Sean. If you want to make a final point too, Robert, you could do that. And then if you want to, feel free, you guys, if you want to plug whatever you want to plug, like your social media or any like projects you have going on, feel free to do that, and we'll make sure to spread the word for you. All
3: right. I, I want to say thanks to Sean. and um, Josh, Nyancy, thank you guys for having me on. Um, I, you know, I really took a lot out of this conversation and it leaves me with a lot to think about um, the way, you know, Nyancy, you brought up some really interesting questions and um, Josh, thank you, um, you know, for for providing the your insight in, into the format Um i you know uh, I guess for me the the question is the socialist capitalist thing that that that, that Sean brought up, and and I, I think I'm going to have to spend a lot more time thinking about that and grappling with you know what sacrifices we have to make on either side in order to have a, a better situation for everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. um yeah it was it was an interesting conversation. Thank you for having me on. It was, it was good hanging out with you guys. Sorry about this little boy making some noise at the beginning.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Just knocked out now. Um, I would say more or less. Um, yeah, you can, my Instagram handle is Financially Sean. What are you? Check out my podcast, uh, Two Black Guys with Good Credit. And I think we all just need to um, understand at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We just love one another.
1: Yeah. That's, a, that's like a good, that's a good, me- that's a better message than anything I could say. <laughs> um yeah you can follow me at gosh carter g-o-s-h-c-a-r-t-e-r on instagram and twitter you can follow our podcast at bwt podcast on instagram and Nyancy.
0: and you can follow me at miss m-s-n-a-y-a-n-c-i
1: all right guys thanks so much for coming and that was this episode of but why though Thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast this week. I wanted to also share this information with you about this really great group that I love. It's called the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, or NACA, for short. It's a public advocacy group that has um, that fights against predatory lending in low to moderate income communities. And it effect- especially this kind of thing has affected Black people over the years. And what this is is a, it's a it's a group that fights for the people, and it has its own mortgage. Um, for you guys where you don't need to have any money um, to put down. It's literally zero down payment on on your property and lower than market rate rate. rates. I'm saying like right now, um, today is uh, June 12th. Their site right now, it's a 2.375% APR on a 15-year fixed mortgage. There's no down payment. You don't have to pay up front. There's no closing costs. There's no points or fees Um, there's no credit score that need that you need to have to get it and like they take priority to people who are low to moderate income members of of community who's like less that you have that's when everyone in the household has less than the median family income for the msa where they're purchasing a a home Um, they also will take people who aren't low to moderate income members but Those will be non-priority members, so they'll put a priority on the low income, but this is a really good step into turning your situation around. You could even get a multifamily property with this, meaning like something with two, three, maybe four apartments. I think it maybe goes up to three. It either goes up to three or four. I have to double check. But you could literally get a triple, like a triplex, live in one unit, and then rent out the other two units. you're not putting any money down on this mortgage the rent just make sure to keep the property maintained and stuff and the people who are going to be renting from you are basically you use that rent money to pay your monthly payments also if you're on section eight or have any kind of program like that they accept these programs and section eight can pay your mortgage payments too it's um a big opportunity here. I really wish the word was out more on this program. It's a really great way to purchase your first property. Um, a lot of people just don't even have that in their mind. They think it's so out of reach, but it's something that we just need. I think that's one of the big problems in American capitalism is that people just don't have ownership of properties anymore. Like um and and that's really how you build your assets and build wealth is by owning property because properties appreciate most of the time. Like, I think most is an understatement. So, yeah, check out NACA.com. You could get with a counselor there. You could get with their, um, they have like a, they usually have preliminary like meetings that you could go check out before you commit to anything or send them any of your information. If you'd like, just sign up for a meeting and go check it out. If you have a dream of owning property one day, and I, I totally recommend getting a property. If you do end up becoming a landlord or getting a property with multiple units, be a good landlord, keep everything in line. And, uh, and yeah, good luck with everyone out there. NACA.com, N-A-C-A.com. Thank you.